We spent the last three weeks looking at one of our five core values, the, the core value of prayer. Uh, as I mentioned, we have five core values as a church. Pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. I've mentioned that every week. Pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. Say it with me. Pray, give, invite, mentor, and serve. And so we spent the first three weeks talking about prayer and actually, I was thinking, okay, and then next year, we'll start the year talking about another core value, and then the next year, we'll talk about another core value. But I got to kind of the middle of the series. I said, we need to talk about some more of the core values right now. We're going to talk about the core value of giving this June, and, uh, but I want to take the next three weeks to talk about the other three core values. So we're going to be covering, we've covered prayer, we're going to cover giving, but pray, give, invite, mentor, and serve. And so I wanted in that order for the next three weeks just to look at those, to look at those three core values each week. Invite this week, mentor next week, and serve the following week. Um, everyone, so we're going to start out talking about being invitational, what an invitational lifestyle looks like. And all of us, like we love to get invited to stuff, right? You love to get invited. You love to get invited to a party, love to get invited out to dinner, love to get invited to a special celebration. The list just goes on and on and on. Uh, like we love to be invited. Even if it's something that we maybe don't even necessarily want to go to, like we love being invited. And recently I got invited to do something really, really cool that I really wanted to do. I got invited to the Indiana-Maryland men's basketball game at College Park. And uh, we have some folks in our church that uh, Kyle Cooper, who's on our staff, who's an IU grad, and whenever they're in town, uh, it's just like, hey, he invites me to come and, and to see them. Now, you guys know that's kind of special for me as well because I grew up in Indiana. I didn't go to Indiana University, but I grew up as a Hoosier fan watching IU basketball. There's really two main schools that are huge rivals in Indiana. One is Purdue University, one is Indiana University, and you are either a Purdue University fan or you are an Indiana University fan. Like, there is no middle ground. You cannot root for both. You root for one, for, for whichever one. Like, one of them is from God, one of them's from the devil. Like, that's the way that you kind of view it. And so, so anyway, this was playing Maryland, which I was reminded between these two services that Maryland beat Indiana for its only national title. And the team they beat was Indiana. I just want to say again, for their only national title, Indiana has a bunch, but for their only national title, Maryland beat Indiana. And, uh, it was great to be at the game, great to see them in person. I love it every time I get a chance to do that. Maryland did win again and beat Indiana again, which wasn't so cool, but we had a fun evening. But, but yesterday, yesterday, I was not at the game because it was at Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, but yesterday, IU played Purdue, its arch rival, and Purdue was ranked number one in the nation was ranked number one in the nation because Indiana took Purdue down yesterday, and now we have some bragging rights. Now we play them again in West Lafayette in three weeks, and that may not be a pre-site. Anyway, but for right now, for three weeks, we have bragging rights. So we love, we love, we love 
getting invited to stuff. When you're invited to something, you feel included. When you're invited to something, you feel valued. An invitation means that the person inviting you wants you to experience the same good thing that they are experiencing. They want to share something good with you. And there's all kinds of invitations. And some can impact us for days and some for months and some for years. But there are invitations that can impact us for eternity. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul gives us the theological framework really for this core value in the life of our church. Like, like this is the theological framework for why invitation and an invitational lifestyle is one of our five core values as a congregation. And this is what he says, starting in verse 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised for them and was raised again. So from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, can I get an amen for that? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our sins against us. Praise the Lord for that. Not counting our sins against us. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So basically what I want to do is just kind of unpack that passage a little bit today. Paul is answering a question here, and the question that he's answering is this. What's the point of the church? Like, what's the point of the church? Like, why does the church exist? And his answer to the question is that the church has one agenda item, and it's all about reconciliation. The theme of reconciliation just permeates this entire passage. Paul says in verse 18 that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he says that God has given us, who have been reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says in verse 19 that God's mission is actually to reconcile the world, the whole world, to himself. And in order to do that, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In fact, he says in verse 20 that God is making his appeal to the world through us. Think about that. Paul is saying that the primary way that God brings reconciliation to the world is through us. That God appeals to the world, but the primary way that he appeals to the world is through us. That God makes his appeal to be reconciled to him through those who have already been reconciled to him. Paul is saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, 
That's your life mission, is to take on the ministry of reconciliation and to share the message of reconciliation. To take on the ministry of reconciliation and to share the message of reconciliation. Now, why is God so focused on reconciliation? And even though this passage is so explicit in talking about it, the theme of reconciliation runs throughout scripture, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. So why is God so focused on reconciliation? Because reconciliation is God's response to something. It's his response to alienation. If you need to experience reconciliation in a relationship, it means that at some point there was alienation in that relationship. If you need to be reconciled to someone, it means that something is not okay in the relationship. It means that something is broken in the relationship. It means that there's alienation in the relationship. A good working definition of alienation is the absence of trust and respect between persons. It's a division that has taken place in the relationship. It's a breakdown of communication. We see alienation in human relationships all the time. Maybe you are experiencing that in some of your relationships that you are dealing with right now. Like trust breaks down. That's kind of the beginning point of alienation. Trust breaks down between two people and they become divided. They take sides. They, they stop talking to each other. They stop communicating with each other. They hide themselves from each other. And there's all kind of alienation in the world. There's alienation between person and person, between individuals. There's racial and cultural alienation. There's gender alienation. There's class alienation, which we don't talk a lot about, but we tend to feel more comfortable with those who are economically like us. There is national alienation. There's all this geopolitical warfare being waged in the world and, and balloons flying over other countries and getting shot down. Just like all of this geopolitical warfare that's going on, all of this alienation that is going on. But we also experience alienation with God. And the Bible tells us that that goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the garden. That Adam and Eve were in a relationship with God, and it says in Genesis 3 that they were naked before God, which is not just about the absence of clothing. It's a reflection of their emotional and spiritual health and vulnerability. They had nothing to hide. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They felt completely loved. They felt completely accepted. Everything was great with their relationship with God until they decided to basically become their own God and do what they thought was best instead of what God knew was best. And the results were alienation. The Bible says that they hid themselves from God. Now, the alienation that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden is obviously not unique to them. All of us, all of us have experienced alienation from God. The whole world has experienced alienation from God. That's why God has given us the ministry and the message 
of reconciliation because God wants every person in the world to be reconciled to him and reconciled to others. God doesn't want anyone to be permanently alienated from him. So what is it that drives us to actually then be ministers of reconciliation? What is it that drives us to share the message of reconciliation with others? Well, Paul tells us in verse 14, he says, for it is Christ's love that compels us. Paul is saying that it's Christ's love for us that compels us to tell others about that same love. It's Christ's love for us that compels us to be invitational with our lives. It's Christ's love for us that compels us to move out into the world in mission. And it's Christ's love for us that compels us to see people in a different way. Look again at what Paul says in verse 16. So from now on, he's talking, he basically spends all this time talking about the gospel and what what God has done through Christ and what he's done through Christ on the cross and the fact that he's reconciled us and restored our relationship. And it's great. He basically summarizes the gospel. And after summarizing the gospel, then he says, so, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, what is seeing someone from a worldly point of view like what does that mean what's Paul talking about to see someone from a world to look at another person and to look at them from a worldly point of view well it's focusing on how this person can help me it's focusing on how this person can advance me it's focused on how this person can somehow help me to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish it's a very utilitarian kind of dynamic in a relationship and in the Washington DC area like that's what so many relationships are is this utilitarian relationship of how can this scratch my back I'll scratch your back like how can this person help me to get advanced to advance to succeed to accomplish what I need to accomplish it's all that it's an inward focus rather than an outward focus being outward focused in relationships is realizing that God has invited you to be reconciled to him and has entrusted you with the ministry of reconciliation. Being outward focused is allowing the gospel to change the way that you look at someone, to change the way that you view someone, to change the lens, the the way in which you view someone. Now, right before Paul says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. He says this in verse 14, which leads into it and gives us an understanding why he says it. He says, we are convinced that one, talking about Jesus, that one died for everyone, for all, and therefore all died. In Christ, we die. It's what we celebrate at baptism is that you've died out to your old sinful self And you've been raised to life in Christ. Every time someone is baptized, it's that that symbolism. We've died to our sinful self. We've been raised to life in Christ. Paul says, we're convinced that Jesus died for everyone. And therefore, all of us have died. And all of us have been raised to life in Christ if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. In other words, Paul is saying that Christ dying on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him was so transforming 
that from now on, from now on, it changes the way he looks at everything in the world, particularly the way that he looks at other people. It just changes that. There's, there's a song in uh, the musical, The Greatest Showman. How many of you have seen the musical? Yeah, so it, I love that musical. It's not my favorite musical in all the world. Like, I get in trouble. I think I talk about musicals, and I think a couple weeks ago, I was talking about musical, and I said, oh, it's one of my favorite musicals in the world, and someone came up to me afterward, like, holding me accountable, and said, I thought Les Mis was your favorite musical in all the world. And I was just like, oh, yeah, maybe I overstated that. Okay, so... So it's not my favorite music in all the world, but I love The Greatest Showman. And there's a song in The Greatest Showman where the protagonist, who recognizes that he's gotten some things, gotten some priorities wrong in life, very wrong in life, he sings this song entitled, From Now On. And I won't sing the song, because that would be, speaking about the mission of the church, that would be the end of the mission of the church here at Fairfax, if I did. But I will share a few of the lines. And this is what it says, from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the light. From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. And let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. I'm about to break out into song. <laughs> from now on, from now on, from now on. Paul is saying that because of the gospel, those who follow Jesus are from now on people. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a from now on person. Because we've been reconciled to God from now on, it changes the way that we view other people. From now on, what we want for others changes. From now on, our heart aches for people who are alienated from God. From now on, we want to be ministers of reconciliation. From now on, we want to share the message of reconciliation. From now on, we want to love our neighbors and see them raised to life in Christ. That's our mission as a church, to love our neighbors and see them raised to life in Christ. And when you have experienced the reconciling work of Jesus in your life, from now on, like you want to love your neighbor and see them raised to life in Christ as well. So what does this ministry of reconciliation look like? Well, Paul tells us in verse 20. He says, we are therefore, based on everything that he said up to this point, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. Now, the dictionary definition of an ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign or state to another as its resident representative. An ambassador, in other words, is sent from their own country to represent that country in another country. And in doing that, an ambassador, at least... Uh, an effective ambassador, they're probably ineffective ambassadors, but in doing that, an effective ambassador never loses their identity. Like they never forget the customs and the core values of their own country. But even as they hold to their own identity, 
they fully immerse themselves in the culture they've been called to so they can understand it and so they can function effectively in it. In other words, they become students of that culture but not slaves to that culture. And the same is true for an ambassador of Christ. If we are Christ's ambassadors, we have to understand the cultural values of the world in which we live. We have to become students of the culture. One of the failings for people that follow Jesus sometimes is that we are not students of the culture. We have not taken time to understand the culture, to ask questions. We're so busy giving answers that we are not taking the time to ask questions to understand the culture that we are an ambassador and have been called to. We have to become a student of the culture. We have to know like what makes people tick and, and we have to know what motivates people. We have to know like what other people's core values are. When's the last time you asked someone, like, what are your core values? Like, what are the things that guide your life? What are the things that, that move you and uh, help you make the decisions that you make? We have to know, like, what other people believe, what the culture believes about money and sex and power and how those are used and the perspective that they have on that, all of that. But, but, we want to become students of the culture without becoming slaves to the culture. Like we don't want to trade our citizenship in the kingdom for another citizenship. As Jesus says in John 17, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. It's just a way of Jesus talking about the fact that, that we need to be students of culture, but we dare not become slaves of that culture. Which leads us back to the core of this passage. Let me read it again, verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. That's the mission of the church. We've been sent into this space. We've been sent into this community, into this location to love the people who are here, to love our neighbors, to love them regardless of race or class or religious background or heritage, to love them so much that our heart aches for those who are alienated from God, to love them so much that we want to see them reconciled to God. See, we don't love someone in order to share the gospel with them. That's such a twisted way to think about like the love that God has for us and the love he wants us to have for our neighbor. Like We don't love someone in order to share the gospel with them. That's manipulative. That's, that's inauthentic. We share the gospel with someone because we already love them. <laughs> Because we care about them. We love them enough to invite them into our lives. I, I thought it would be helpful today to give you, um, I think it's always helpful just to get some practical ideas of like what does this stuff really look like when we're trying to live it out, like in, in real life. And uh, 
We have so many people in our church that live um, invitational lifestyles and are inviting people into their homes, inviting people into the church, inviting people into conversations, inviting people to Christ, like such invitational lifestyle. And Moses and uh, Mercy uh, Niwe are, uh, are two of those people in our church, just an amazing couple that live uh, such uh, an invitational lifestyle, and they're so intentional about doing that. So I thought it'd be cool. Mercy is, is traveling, actually, this weekend, but I, I wanted to bring Moses up, and uh, Moses kind of representing both of them today, and uh, to talk a little bit about like what an invitational life, just in a practical sense, like what does an invitational life kind of look like? So would you welcome uh, Moses Niwe to the platform today? Moses, first of all, thank you for doing this. For I just crossed the six, uh, six foot barrier. Sorry about that. Uh, I think we're okay. We can actually get a little closer. So yeah, we're good. Um, so I want to start out by talking about the fact that, uh, and I found this out a few years ago, that, that you actually, you and Mercy have a mission statement for your family. And I think, you know, organizations have mission statements, companies have mission statements, the church obviously has a mission statement. But as you've kind of thought through that as it relates to your family and something that is accessible to your family and to your kids, you've come up with a mission statement for your family. And talk a little bit about what that, what is that mission statement and, and why did you land on that? Okay, um, well, thank you again for having us, Rod. Um, it's, it's a very simple um, uh, uh, mission statement. So it's, it's God enabling us and helping us, uh, each of the new ways to live a life that follows the example of Christ, mm. uh, to be the world's largest possible blessing. To be the world's largest possible blessing. Like we want to organize our life and how we function as a family to be the world's largest, given, given what God has entrusted to us, how can we use that to be the world's largest blessing, which is an amazing, which is an amazing mission statement. And I know guides a lot of what you do. And I know that one of the ways that you um, bless others is through the use of your home that you guys are so invitational in terms of inviting other folks into your home and you host small groups and neighbors and friends and you guys are from Uganda and there's folks that travel internationally that when they come to the DC area, they're staying with you. And, uh, but you're also very intentional about uh, inviting into your home people that um, maybe come from very different belief system than you guys do. And uh, talk a little bit about an example of that. So, um, yeah, there's different examples, and just one that I would want to focus on right now is uh, um, Mercy gets to travel and, uh, and for work, and she was on this, one of these uh, trips uh, where she had gone for work. So she got to interact with uh, one of her peers, uh, colleagues, and this was a Muslim lady, and as you can imagine, yeah, sometimes on a work trip, you may have lots of time to talk, to talk about life and everything else. And... Uh, uh, Mercy being the kind of person she is, the hospitable person she is, she's like, oh, I want to invite you over to have an experience of some Ugandan food when you get back to the U.S. So, and, and, and that uh, was just a, a simple but uh, 
example, but that uh, when the lady came over, came back, we had her for dinner, had some other friends, and some of the other questions started popping up that would lead to, you know, talking about the gospel. Yeah, yeah. You guys are so generous when it comes to that. And I think that one of the things that you have tapped into that I think sometimes we forget is um, just the power of story and the fact that uh, everyone has a story and people are interested. Like sometimes I think, for some of us, we think we don't have a very exciting story. Like we don't have a very interesting story. But when you start to kind of peel back the onion, all of us have really fascinating stories in terms of how we've gotten to the place that we've gotten to. And people are interested in those stories and those stories lead to conversations about things that matter and things that have eternal consequence. And uh, I know you guys have been invitational even like when you're out on walks, that that you guys walk together in the neighborhood and during COVID you were obviously walking a lot. It's like the only thing we could do to get out, you know, is go for walks. And you met some folks on a walk that has led to some pretty cool things as well. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, this is another... uh, Example, so we, we, yes, we've been intentional about, you know, taking uh, these prayer walks around the community, just walking around, and uh, so as God would have it, um, he, he, he just worked things out, and we got different people that we started to connect with, and this is over a period of time. It's not like it's just a fast walk, but weeks, months, years even, <laughs> and sometimes people just waving, sometimes people just smiling, sometimes people just coming up with a compliment, like saying, oh, I like it that you guys hold hands, or, you know, <laughs> and, and who knew that holding hands could be invitational, you know? <laughs> it could bring somebody over. <laughs> so, but we met these four ladies um, that, that we got some kind of connection, and so we started, you know, stopping and spending some time to talk, and they were interested in hearing our story, and we were interested in hearing their story, as Rod, you said. Uh, and uh, so this kept leading on to something else. And, and then Mercy again, the hospitable Mercy, comes up. It's like, hey, why don't you guys, uh, would, you, would you be willing to come over to our home and have your husbands? We'd love to have you and your husbands. These are four ladies with their husbands. And they, 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 they really honored us. They, they came, and, and they were part of it, and then... When we come into the house, Mercy has put up these verses. That I know that the, the kids shake their heads over these things. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, whatever. But, yeah, but, but yeah, and, 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 and these, these, these are moments and opportunities that actually struck more conversations. Yeah, and you, um, you, know, you, you teach in a public university, and sometimes that can be a little dicey in terms of how... how, how how to, how to be invitational and how to, to talk about the gospel and uh, share the message of reconciliation, reconciliation in that kind of setting. But there's also some things that you do, even just with students, with your students, um, that just kind of, again, they're thought-provoking. They're small. They seem maybe small, thought-provoking, but sometimes they start a conversation. Talk about a couple of those, yeah. Yeah, so again, it's, yeah, it's, it's the little things. Uh, uh, we have this saying that the power of littles, you know, little things that can go a wrong way, a long way when God is in it, you know. So, uh, just again, these are ideas from God Himself. Um, uh, when I'd have exams, sometimes I'd uh, put passwords that that would be like just a thought, just a saw, just sowing a seed. And and Rod was asking me, "What are some of those passwords? Tell me." So I'd 
say one of the passwords is something like redemption. And, and, and it's interesting how God, again, works these things out. Um, so sometime in the moment, looks like nothing, but I meet, I would meet some of these students after a while. Yeah, uh, like years later after sometimes. school is done and they, they're going into your life and they're like, oh, I remember you. I remember some of those passwords you'd put. They're like communicating something else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we'll get into the conversation from there. So yeah. again, um, it, it, it's just amazing. Uh, uh, this, this most, again, it's, it all started with us honoring that invitation that Christ gave. Yeah. And, and now that, that, that beauty... Uh, of his life, you know? Yeah. He keeps giving us that creativity to be able to share the, to, with others. Yeah. And Moses, I know there are so many other stories because this, this invitational lifestyle just kind of oozes out, I think, from both of you. And it's just so cool to see. And I get ideas when I talk to you guys about all of that because you just live that out in such a real and authentic way. Thank you so much for coming up and sharing this. Would you show your appreciation you, to Moses? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I have to tell you this, that after the first service, a guy in our church, is this okay that I tell this story, Moses? Yeah, I'm gonna tell it no matter what. So uh, this guy in our church comes up and he goes, I, I got a Moses story. And, and I'm realizing lots of people have Moses stories. And, and, uh, and he says, I got a Moses story. And he said it, it was during COVID and I was at a grocery store and we were, uh, you know, everybody was wearing masks and everything. And, you know, you didn't know who anyone was. And I didn't know, I don't think he knew you even at the time. And so he uh, walked, walked by uh, Moses and kind of violated the six foot thing, right? There was like the six foot thing during that time that you had to have six feet, you know? And, and so Moses, it's so funny. His mind is just so quick in terms of just like, how can I take advantage of the moment? And so as he walks by, Moses says behind his mask, he goes, if you died tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? And uh, it's just like, what? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and he stopped and it was just like, and he's a follower of Jesus. And so it's just like, yes, I do know for sure that I would go to heaven and I've trusted my life to Jesus. And, and then it just kind of started a conversation which then caused them to realize both of them go to Fairfax and they're both followers of Jesus and, and just kind of has gone on from there. And it's just like, I just love those stories, those, those little things, small things, as Moses said, like small things that God, it doesn't have to be this huge, big thing, these small things that God uses to create conversations that some kind, sometimes can just have just incredible impact. So I just want to wrap this up, and, uh, and Paul wraps up this whole thing in, uh, in, in verse 21, where he says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the reason I wanted to highlight that, uh, one, is because it's, it's kind of how Paul wraps this whole thing up, but sometimes what stops us from being invitational is that we're afraid. And, and we're afraid of lots of things, but we're afraid that maybe, maybe our life doesn't quite measure up. We're afraid that maybe we don't have our act together enough to be an ambassador for Christ. Like that's what other people do. They're ambassadors. I'm not an ambassador. We're afraid that maybe we don't know enough data or enough information about the Bible or whatever to carry out the, 
minister of reconciliation and share the message of reconciliation. But Paul says that if you're in Christ, he says, I want you to not forget this. You who have been called to be messengers and ministers of this message of reconciliation, if you're in Christ, you have become the righteousness of God. Like that's who you are. That's your identity. You've taken on Christ's righteousness. And he says the same thing using different words in verse 17 when he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So if you're in Christ, you have his righteousness. If you're in Christ, you are a brand new creation. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of things that you're struggling with, regardless of where you feel like you come up short, like you are a brand new person in Jesus. And that's the only qualification that you need to be an ambassador for Christ. So don't be afraid to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Don't be afraid to share the message of reconciliation. Don't be afraid that you don't know enough or you may not get it right or you may not kind of put it together in the right kind of way. Like, don't be afraid of any of that. The world, actually, actually, the world doesn't need you. The world doesn't need you to be this amazing person who has all the answers for everything. And the world doesn't need another, oh my goodness, the world does not need another slick presentation of the gospel. Like, if you want to get a slick presentation of the gospel, you can find as many as you want on YouTube. There's plenty there. Like, that's not what the world needs. What the world needs is you. That's what the world needs. The world needs you. And they don't need to see a perfect you. They, they just need to see someone who has been humbled by God's love. They just, they just need to see someone who is quick to forgive and even quicker to apologize. They just need to see someone who is so overwhelmed by the reconciling work of God in their own lives that they're willing to move beyond their comfort zone, beyond what they're comfortable sometimes with in order to share it with others. We're gonna end our service today with communion. And uh, just the logistics of it is, is uh, I'm gonna pray here in a moment and, um, and then we're gonna sing um, a song and while the song's being sung, we're gonna distribute the elements of communion. Then I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. And if you're with us online and uh, you want to participate, uh, kind of during this song time, uh, feel free to, to get something out of the refrigerator, something that can represent the body and the blood of Christ for you, and we'll all take communion together. And it's fitting. It's like really fitting. I got to thinking about it. We do communion now in kind of the first weekend of the month, whenever that's possible. And so this just kind of lined up, but it's fitting to be taking communion on a Sunday when we're talking about being invitational. Because communion, at its core, is an invitation. It's an invitation, not from the church, not from the pastor. It's an invitation from Jesus to come to the table. It's an invitation from Jesus to celebrate this reconciling work that he has done for us on the cross. It's an invitation to celebrate the fact that because of what Jesus did on the cross, 
we no longer have to be alienated from God. Like that's what communion is. And for some of you, it's an invitation to experience all of that for the first time. Like for some of you, as the elements are passed and, um, and, and maybe whenever there's communion, you, um, you pass the elements and say, I'm not sure that I should partake of them or maybe, uh, which is fine, absolutely fine. Or maybe you, just because it's a ritual and it's something that the church does, you take it, but maybe it doesn't necessarily really mean anything personally to you. For some of you, this is an opportunity to really experience the invitation that communion is all about for the first time. The invitation to experience God's reconciling work in your life, the invitation to experience his grace, the invitation to experience his love, the invitation to experience God. And so as the communion elements are shared, um, maybe for some of you this is a reminder of what Christ has done and you have already said yes to that, but maybe for others of you like the very act today of picking up the bread and the cup and partaking is your way today of saying, Jesus, I say yes. I say yes to your invitation. God, we're so thankful that you are an inviting God. A God that invites us to the table, a God that invites us to experience your grace and your forgiveness, a God that reconciles us to you, a God that takes away our sins, a God that never stops inviting us, that never becomes discouraged, that never takes no for an answer, that just keeps, just keeps inviting. All of us, Lord, are products of your loving, persistent, gracious invitation. And so Lord, we want to be invitational people. We, we want our lives to be invitational. But we know until we experience your reconciling work in our life. We can't be about the mission and the ministry of reconciliation. So Lord, today, as we celebrate once again what you have done for us on the cross, we pray that eternal yeses to your invitation can be made. In the name of Jesus, we pray.